NeoPixel is an Afroots brand for individually addressable RGB color pixels and strips based on the WS2812, WS2811 and SK6812 LED drivers, using a single wire control protocol. Live from 70% vaccinated, it's Ask an Engineer. Hey everybody, welcome to Ask an Engineer. We're fully vaccinated and we're here at the Adafruit headquarters. Uh, it's exciting times uh, for New York City, as you saw. We are yeah. uh, starting to uh, relieve some of the restrictions that have uh, been keeping us safe um, for the last, what, 500 days, 470 days? Yeah. Anyways, uh, it's just another day here in the city. Me, Lady Ada, with me, Mr. Lady Ada. Uh, on camera control, we are uh, walking out in the Adafruit headquarters here in downtown Manhattan, uh, where we are doing all the manufacturing and testing and shipping of electronic goodies. Uh, but for the next hour or so, we've got Ask Engineer, our show that we do every Wednesday at 8 p.m. That's what you're watching. That's right. So let's kick it off. On tonight's show, the code is BT Clock. We'll talk about why it's BT Clock later, but the code is BT Clock, 10% off in the Adafruit store, everything in stock all the way up to probably like 10 p.m. or so. Yeah. So um, just make sure you put everything in your cart before 10, and that's how you know uh, you'll get discounts. Uh, we'll talk about some of our Adafruit Live series of shows, including Show & Tell. We got some time travel, some Adafruit jobs board, Main New York City factory footage, 3D printing, INMPI, new products, top secret. We're going to answer your questions. We do that over on Discord, adafruit.it slash Discord, where you can join all 29,000 of us. All that and more on this exciting episode of, you guessed it, Dun, da, da. Ask an Engineer. Yay. Okay, so let's first pay some bills, Lady Ada. Yes. Code is BT Clock, but as people put things in their cart, what do they get? They get free stuff. $99 or more. You get a proto half-side breadboard. Great for making your projects permanent on a perma-proto. $149 or more, you get a STEM IQT board. We have a range of about 20 different ones, whether they're in stock or not. You'll get a different one each time if you make an account. Otherwise, it's random or right. arbitrary. Uh, $199 or more, you get UPS ground shipping in the continental United States. It's nice. It's trackable. It comes in a brown truck. Everyone loves it. UPS ground. And then at uh, $299 or more, you get a free Circuit Playground Express, our all-in-one development board that you can run with code.org. CS Discovery is Arduino, Circuit Python, uh, MakeCode, Go, TinyGo, TinyLisp, what have you. It's got all the sensors and buttons and piezos and switches built in. So it's super easy to get started with making hardware without any software. All right. Um, we just did some live shows today. We had Nom Pedro's 3D Hangouts. We just did Show and Tell. That's right. Make sure you watch it on YouTube or on Twitch or on LinkedIn or on Facebook or on Periscope or on, it's maybe all of them right now. Yeah. And you can uh, check out all the folks that were on this week. The show and tells go pretty long now. We're jam packed, so um, we're not gonna do recaps during these shows. On Sunday we do Desk of Lady Ada. Part one of Desk of Lady Ada was what you're working on. What are you working on? Okay, I'm working on porting the Seesaw library that was in ARM GCC over to Arduino IDE, which you can then use, of course, any compiler. In this case, it's going to be ARM G or AVR GCC because I'm porting it to the ATtiny817, which is like a chip that I could find in stock and uh, does a good job. So I just showed off. I've got like NeoPixel working and 
um, analog input and digital input and output and um, interrupts and all that stuff. So I'm working on that peripheral library and I'm going to redo all of the designs that I had designed with the SAMD09 uh, because I don't think I'll be able to get the SAMD09 for about two years. And, okay. and then for great search, which we do with DigiKey and Lady where Lady uses her powers of engineering for good to find things on digikey.com. What did you look for this week? Uh, this week, I was doing development using this uh, dev board. I'm actually targeting the ATtiny816, and so I showed how to get uh, the eval board that I used, uh, how to find eval boards for chips, and um, some tips because you can't always get the eval board you want, but you'll always get the eval board you need, um, what to look for and how to find the eval board for the chip you're using um, because chip companies have certain uh, common tips and techniques tricks and techniques they use uh, to decide what chips that they pick for yeah. their eval kits. And I uh, also showed what I liked about this eval board. It might be handy when you have multiple options available. Okay, JP's product pick of the week was off this week, so tune in next week where we broadcast live from the product page. And you He'll get a discount, well discount built in. And JP's off tomorrow, so you will not see JP's show tomorrow, but we do have mm -hmm. last week's circuit Python Parsec, so we're going to play that now. Take it away, JP. Sometimes you will receive an input or have numbers coming at you from somewhere that are in a certain range. If I want to use those numbers in a different range, you can use this simple math library called Map range, which allows you to take an input minimum and maximum, and then set an output minimum and maximum, and it does all the rest for you. I have this potentiometer I'm turning, and it goes from about 0 to 65,520. And you can see on the right side there, I am remapping that to a range of 0 to 127. If you check out how I'm doing this in the code, the key thing is that I'm importing this simple math import map range, and then I am using this variable called remap value, followed by, I want an integer, so I set int, and then this is the map range here, map range, and then I'm reading the sensor, and then I'm taking its minimum of zero, maximum of 65,520, and then I'm setting it to a new minimum and a new maximum. If we look at these variables here, those start out at zero and 127. So now you can see after changing the new minimum to 32, when I turn this knob, it'll go down to 32 and still up to 127. And we can set those to anything we want. My software there has a filter value in the middle that's now going from, instead of zero, it's going from 32, that, if you see that little bump moving along there for this filter frequency notch. Uh, it goes not all the way to the bottom, which you usually stop hearing things when the cutoff value goes down to zero. And so that is how you can take a range of values and map them to a different range of values, all using the map range inside of Simple Math. And that is your CircuitPython Parsec. Okay, and uh, Scott's show will be back, um, I think it's next week. Next week. He's off this week. That's right. Also, well-rested break. We'll be returning uh, super-powered and ready to dive into more yeah. Bluetooth low-energy transfer protocol. Ooh, fun. All right, time travel. We're going to look around in the world of makers, hackers, artists, engineers, and more. 
This week, um, as we started off the show, New York is celebrating right now. 70% of adults in New York State are vaccinated. Wait, where'd you get this animation from? From the state government, so I think, <laughs> I, I think I'm allowed to. Yeah. And uh, this was the big news. Last night, um, we went and we saw fireworks by the water because that's what you did. Um, they were ready for it, it seems. All the newspaper says it's over. It's over. This is unfortunately what the newspapers look like right before, like, the 12 Monkeys um, thing. It's like, it's over, and then it's like, no, it turns out it was just beginning. But hopefully this is over. Uh, this has been terrible. Um, New York got hit first, worse, and uh, we're now, I think, lowest positivity in the country right now. Yes. So, um, Still people, not, it it's is, not over. There's still people getting sick. Well, uh, yeah. But and we're the all, numbers are, are going down. Yeah, we're all, we're all tired and damaged, so cut us some slack until we recover. Um, it's been tough, um, so be, be good to each other. Like, it, this is going to take a while to, to process. I was um, talking to someone today, and I said, yeah. you know, the weird thing, because I'm just starting to, like, not have to, like, the behind the scenes at Adafruit is, like, you know, we have 130-plus people, and there was a lot of, like, let's keep everyone safe. So I was just on call for, like, 24-7, late 82, for the last year and, like, you know, three months. And I said, you know, the thing that I noticed that's been missing up until, like, recently is, you know, once in a while you get a, if, if you do things like art and what's considered creative or whatever, yeah. sometimes, you know, I'd get this melody in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm going to use that for a song that I want to do for an Ada box or a circuit playground video yeah. or, you know, a project that I have in mind. And the melody stopped and they're just starting to come back now. Yeah. And it's interesting that you... You don't realize what's missing for so long when you go through a crisis, uh, as long as New York and all of us did. And it's, it's odd. It's like, huh, like, there's a little bit of music coming back. And I don't know if, if it's the same for everyone. What's the song that's playing? Well, we, we have a next Ada Box thing oh, and yeah, those yeah. things. Okay. And, and there's, like, certain instruments sometimes I want to use for things that, like, has a, a certain feel. And working with Tom, who does our, our music together, um, and it's just like, that was just gone. It was, or it was like really hard to get. Yeah. It was like always turned down, but now it's, it's back a little. Okay. So anyways, that's so that's what's going on. Um, okay. it's, it's happening. Um, and, uh, the other thing is for Friday, uh, so Saturday is Juneteenth, Friday, Adafruit. So what we do with holidays, if a holiday ends up on a weekend, we'll do either a Friday or a Monday. So the team has it off because right now we're not working weekends. A lot of people don't work weekends, and I don't think that would be fair. Yeah. So Juneteenth is a holiday in New York State now, and I think it passed the House and now it goes to the Senate. Yeah. Um, but it's a holiday in a lot of states, and one of the things that I think that was helpful for Adafruit is, you know, our team says, hey, this is something important to us. So we started doing this last year, and it's one of the holidays we wanted to add. And um, I was asked in the past, how do you, if I work for a company and they're, they're not, they're not, they're not interested in some holidays yet. One of the ways you can do it is send an email and say, Hey, there's this manufacturing company, Adafruit, and they're doing Juneteenth or the, all the other holidays that we do. And just ask like, what would it take for us to be able to do that too? Cause I think that one of the hard things now is people don't know how to talk to each other anymore. And so that's the approach I would say, and just say, Hey, what would it take to do this together? Now, it might be a federal holiday eventually. Some states recognize some holidays, some don't. Um, and, you know, we've always tried to have the most inclusive holidays for all of our team. 
but I also know not every company is, is caught up yet, but I think we can lead by example. But anyways, if you work at a company, that's a strategy. If you ever need to hand with stuff like this, let me know. Um, sometimes employers, because uh, we have August coming up and there's no public holiday, but we want to do one. So we're going to make up a holiday. That's right. But, Circuit Python Day. But what we, what we do is we, we tell the team, like, we can make this work, but here's how we can make it work together. And that's been really helpful, and I think that's, that's an approach. Anyways, other things on the time travel. Uh, Phil B. did a really neat speak and spell. And, speak uh, away. Speak and spell video. Take it away, Phil B. Speak and spell, 1978, Texas Instruments. We can laugh at it now, but at the time, this was magic, when speaking toys typically had a tape or small phonograph record. It had a distinct accent, and you might think that's a product of an algorithmic voice or of phoneme tables, where phrases are built from fragments of speech, but it's neither. Each word and phrase is a recording of Mitch Carr, a radio announcer from Dallas. With limited storage at the time, this couldn't be done with PCM recording, where a waveform represents the physical position of a speaker. It used something called LPC-10 encoding. This turns sound into math and back. Think of it like the great-grandfather of MP3, but rather than hundreds of kilobits per second, this was limited to about 1,100 bits per second, and that's the other reason for its accent. Okay, next week we're going to have the follow-up video on that as well. So for Stay Adabox, um, if you're in the USA, you can sign up for Adabox. You should. Um, Canada also. Canada also. One of the things that we did was we told the UK and EU and Switzerland folks that we're pausing box subscriptions, so they know that now. Yes. Um, we sent them a nice discount code, thanks. It's Thank just, you. It's just impossible to ship boxes worldwide. We and, will. And have it for a price that makes sense. We will when we can. So we'll have standalone boxes with our European resellers and more, but we'll also try to have something, uh, again, uh, you all know, besides Amazon, uh, which is not exactly, I think, the way that most people want to run business, uh, Amazon makes it seem like there's free shipping, but there really isn't. The money comes from somewhere, the shipping is paid for somehow, some way by someone. So we don't put anything on top of shipping, we just, it's a pass-through. But for Ada Box, we have to come up with a price, and the price was 60 bucks a box. So we're working on figuring out a way to do that worldwide and more. We can yep. do it for the USA and Canada for now. So next up, uh, Collins Lab, we do a video on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And here is the latest Collins Labs. All in a row. Of the week. Hot glue is a great way to burn your fingers, but also very handy for adding simple strain relief to electronics wiring. It works well for those stranded wire connections. Battery cases, PCB wiring, really any wiring that needs to stand up to some movement during usage. Before applying, make sure you've got a good solder joint first, then test to ensure the glue will stick well to the PCB and wire insulation. Add a healthy ring of glue around the base of the joint. Alternatively, you can lay the wire flat and glue it down to protect the solder joint even more. If you need to remove it, use some rubbing alcohol to release the adhesion. Just turn off your glue gun first. The three most common types of capacitors you're likely to use are ceramic, electrolytic, and tantalum. Ceramic capacitors are non-polarized, so you can place them in the PCB either way. 
Electrolytic caps are usually polarized. Their negative lead needs to connect to a lower voltage than the positive lead. That negative lead is labeled with minus signs. It's usually connected to ground. Tantalum capacitors are also polarized, but they have their positive side marked. Yes, that's opposite from electrolytic. Tantalum caps are also a lot more sensitive to incorrect installation. If you plug an electrolytic in backwards, it usually just won't work as well. But reverse the polarity and tantalums throw a tantrum. Please do not try this at home, but please do mind your cap's polarity. One important characteristic to consider when choosing an op-amp is its rail-to-rail -rail capability. Each voltage level supplied to the op-amp is called a rail, so a typical 5-volt powered project has two rails, one ground at 0 volts and one at positive 5 volts. With this supply, a rail-to-rail op-amp could output a signal ranging all the way from 0 on up to a full 5 volts. This common LM358 op-amp is wired up as a buffer. It'll try to output a copy of its input signal. So, if I feed it a sine wave measuring 3 volts peak to peak and centered at 2.5 volts, it reproduces a nice clean copy of the wave at its output. But when I increase the wave's amplitude to 5 volts peak to peak, the output is clipped. The chip only has 1.5 volts of headroom. I can't quite reach that top rail. If only we had something... Okay, where were we? Right. Rail-to-rail op-amps can output signals with the full voltage range of their power supply, which might not sound like a big deal until you build a buffer circuit with an older design and you only see part of your signal at the output. We can get the full picture by swapping it out for a newer design like the TLV2462. Ah, there's our 5 volt sine wave, and we didn't have to increase the power supply voltage to get it. Thank you, TLV2462. In addition to rail-to-rail -rail output, this chip is also a low-power design. So with chips like these available, why are old op-amp designs still being manufactured? Well, not every application needs a wide output voltage swing, and the LM358 goes for about one-sixth the price of a TLV2462. That'll do. Before sending your PCB design out for manufacturing, it's always a good idea to print out a one-to-one -one scale copy of it on actual paper, yeah. It takes almost no effort and it gives you a physical preview of your board before committing to copper. It's surprisingly easy to overlook certain details while your design is still stuck on a screen. So place chips and connectors on the paper and make sure all the outlines and pin counts are correct. With a sheet of foam placed beneath the paper, you can even simulate mounting components. Check for any necessary slots or mounting holes, and that you don't have two objects trying to occupy the same physical space. That's a good general rule. If your board has them, try using any buttons, knobs, or displays. You can patch up any ergonomic oversights now, instead of having to wait for a revision too. Okie dokie, that is Collins Lab. So this week, stay tuned for next week for more Collins Lab. Okay. You love it. So we got jobs.adafruit.com. This is where you can post your skills if you want a cool job or- Pay the bills. 
you can hire people. Hire people, um, and we so have a pretty good volunteer. Yeah, all sorts of things. So this week's job is exhibit fabricator. I think level three or Whoa. three. Um, Science Museum of Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota, full time. Check it out. These are fun, and they're tougher than you think to make a really good, durable exhibition. Yeah, but if you think about it, um, if you wanted to hire people to, who could do this, the Adafruit community. It's super fun. A lot of museums just use Adafruit stuff. So. I know people who do this for a living, and it's, it's quite a living, and it's, it's cool. very enjoyable, and you get to see kids uh, really have fun with your stuff and break it. Yeah. All right, next up. It's Python on hardware time. Yay, Blinka. All right. Okay. What's There's a new? lot going on. I know. And I'm going to just uh, go through what we're going to do this week. So this week, and I'm going to uh, mention this, then we're going to go to it. Tom's Hardware Best RP2040 oh. boards of 2021. Oh, yeah? There's some exciting news with Adafruit in it. How many are ours? Well, we'll get to that at the end. Oh, great. Uh, GitHub repository used from within Visual Studio Code. Uh, this got this to Anne, who does newsletter, because I thought this was a good thing that will really help people. Microsoft Software. Yeah. Microsoft GitHub yeah. working together. You can um, use GitHub from within Visual Studio. I gotta try, try using I use Atom yeah. and I use Moo and Arduino. I gotta start using yeah. Visual Studio. Um, article about how this year became Windows, a uh, year of being a first class Python development environment. That always wasn't true, but it's getting closer and closer and better and better now. Um, as far as the type of things that you can see around the web, we have the Make Boards Guide, uh, Adafruit Neo Trinky. There's a review there. MagTag Keeps. Uh, Get the top post from Reddit, World News, using Reddit's API and displaying oh, on the Adafruit I know tag. The Reddit API is really easy to use. Yep. I used it for one of our MagTech projects. Um, here's a really neat RP2040 power shortcut keyboard with CircuitPython. That's also on Tom's hardware. Um, Pymeroni, you got Blink working on CircuitPython and Seed Studio Shell. Um, here's a really neat wearable that hmm. uses Python. Here is the uh, M4 CircuitPython 7 beta with airlift getting it. MPY library from Bundle and Community Bundle, the HDMI output from the GameDuino 3X Dazzler. Here's some cute keycaps because we're doing yeah, tons of keycap key stuff. A lot of keyboards, 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 a lot of keyboards. But what I wanted to do this week, um, oh, I guess one other thing. Um, shout out to MicroPython. They're part of the movement. I think in most are all open source to get better language. So they're replacing Master Slave with controller peripheral for SPI. You can Yay. check that out. And then you can check out the roundup of all of the uh, companies from Microsoft to GitHub to Adafruit to Linux to Red Hat that have started making these changes in uh, better, more updated modern language for some of these outdated terms. So for this week's uh, the thing, you know, now there, there's so much Python news this it's all the time. too much. There is too much. Um, but, that, but that means like we're, it means it's all working and we're all working together. Um, actually, let me just do one last thing before I get to the other yeah. piece. Um, if you're looking to speed up Python, uh, this is the founder, Guido, and they're looking to hire. Uh, Microsoft's hiring two people on their team to speed up standard Python, CPython. Oh. So that's kind of cool, neat job. Is he, a, is he a Microsoft now? Might be, or at least talking to him and helping him out. So, uh, well, it's a first class. It's a first class development right now. Right now. Um, so Tom's hardware, best RP20. Boards 24, of, okay. Want to go there? Of, uh, 2021. Okay. And I just want to point out, you know. It's a community. It's really good. It's not just us. It's not just us. Um, and, you know, awards and uh, listings are nice. Okay. Well, obviously the Pico. The Pico's number one. Well, Why is I mean, it? like. Well, it's low cost, small size, easy use, built in ADC, no ACBC. But it is drag. like the board. Yeah. Only three pins. But what's the first one besides that one? 
Oh my god! Oh my goodness! I didn't. We didn't write a speech. Um, it's the um, yeah, the feather, the Adafruit feather. It's weird. I, uh, I'm gonna try to move this window around here. Now this window doesn't want to go. Let's see. I'm gonna try to go this way. No. Gonna that is to, weird. I'm gonna try to. This is. I'm gonna try to get these these websites these days. Yeah. So, anyways, the first one besides Pico is Adafruit Feather. Feather. Then, we have the Citron Maker, Maker Pico. Pico. I'm gonna get Pico. this to stock because it is a nice board. Then we've got look Ooh. another Adafruit board. Adafruit Cutie Pie RB2040. Not GPI pins because it's a Cutie Pie. And then the Pimeroni Tiny 2040, and then Pimeroni Pico Lipo. Mm -hmm. And then you got the Arduino Nano RP2040 Connect. Yes. Now that supports CircuitPython. That's right. Um, then when you got, bitsy, bitsy. oh look, an Adafruit Itsy Bitsy RP2040. And then Pimeroni Kibo. Kibo. Run CircuitPython. And the SparkFun the Pro, Pro Micro. Micro. So that is cool. Thank you, Tom's Hardware, for checking out our boards and more. And uh, that's a nice top 10 list. So if you're looking to buy some of these, this is a good list. Good work. And that is Python on Hardware News this week. Blinka, blinka, blinka. Blinka, blinka, blinka. All right, so oh, let's do some. Oh boy, it's time. Let's do some open source news. Oh goodness. So here's the thing. All right, let me just get let me get comfortable. Just get ready. Um, you get comfy. Well, this is just going to be a small discussion, very short. Small. But short. Each week we try to cover a topic that's going on, and sometimes. For us and our team, it's just like, oh, look at what's going on in this open source community. Is there anything we can learn from it? So this was on the Nix OS yeah. repo, and it has something to do with Home Assistant. And the creator of a library... Who is also a developer of Home Assistant. Also a developer, said, hey, as the author of this package that is being repackaged here, I'm against it being repacked into here. While licensing-wise, I cannot stop you. I do hope you honor my request. Thank you for considering and respecting the author's wishes. Well, as we all know, that doesn't really work anymore um, because people will do open source, and if it's under an open source license, some people will say, well, it's open source, that's legal, I will do whatever I want. Right, and, and you can. And you can, but um, I'm, I'm quoting um, some people that I respect in this industry. They said, just because something is legal and it doesn't make it right, and if you're doing stuff only because it's like this legal letter of the law for these things, you might be a sociopath. <laughs> so yeah. I understand that point of view too. So this is an interesting thing. What happens when you do open source and your package is put into something, but they're using really outdated code, really old packages? Yeah. And Which is what this person was worried about. It was like the packages don't get up to date and people are going to bug me with bug reports. So this is the thing. This is the biggest problem. And they're not using the latest code. Yeah. So the biggest problem is... With open source right now, when you release something for free, you're basically agreeing to get almost unending support, that free support that you're going to provide. Yes. That's what you're signing up for. Yes. And, and no money almost. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you get donations, but sure. it's fair. And one of the problems is that it's not fair to the users because they get outdated software that's put up into these packages. They're trying to report a bug, never done it before. Yeah. They know what's going on. And then you tell them, hey, you have outdated software. They're like, no, I don't have the latest. I have the latest Debian release, and so or this, happen or whatever, yeah. this happened to JWZ. JWZ, um, a lot of people know, uh, one of the people who made Netscape, um, said, I would like Debian to stop sharing my screensaver. And then JWZ said, look, it's the old one, it's a security issue, don't do it. So he put a message in there, and then the way it worked is like they took the message out, you can always fork the code. So, but it was kind of messed up. So everything, 
everything is... It was, it was bad. For, nobody was happy. Yeah, so... I he's even said that. He's like, absolutely nobody's happy. Everyone's miserable. Everyone's miserable. So here's the, the thing that I think we should all think about yeah. with open source is there's... You, you publish open source because you want it out there to get used, but you also have these tools that we're using like GitHub. And until recently, it was really hard to manage stuff on GitHub. Anyone can get into our inbox. Anyone can... Anyone basically can harass you. Now, there's good issues, good bug reports, good things, but that's not how it always works. Um, and what's happening is people are saying, please don't put it in this thing because I don't want to deal with the support thing. So I hope we can get away from should people do open source or not and get into, like, can we make these tools better so this, the issues are handled better? And also, if the communities can work better together, I think that's the other solution where it's like, hey, like instead of distributing this older chunk of code, can't you do the following? Yeah, I think I think this this was interesting because it does, you know, this doesn't come up that often, but it does come up once in a while. Um, you know, we also had someone in the CircuitPython community that was who was taking MIT licensed code and relicensing it as GPL. Can you do that legally? Yes, but it's like really lame to do that. It's like you should really respect what the author of the code intended, which was that it should be licensed under MIT and not re-licensed. Yeah. Without any changes to the code, it was just like redistributed under a different license. So I think um, it's a challenge, right? Because again, like nobody's happy. Um, this is the, the biggest issue for developers, right? Like I can be annoyed that, um, uh, so, you know, sometimes I, I upgrade software and like some a dependency I'm using changes, and that's annoying, but like I can solve that. It's like, yeah. oh, I just have to update my code or I pin to a version. This happens all the time, like click updates constantly or like pilot changes or like I'm using Arduino and like something changes in one core versus the other, but like you can if def around that, but then when you have people, and in this case, there's two people who have two valid but conflicting ideas. One person who says, I don't want my package to be inst installed as part of your dependency bundle. And the other person who's like, well, why did you publish it to PyPI if you don't want people to add it as a dependency for code? Yeah. I, I think that um, we don't yet have a good language for folks to express what they want done with their software. And I think when, when people express that, yeah, I think w right now, like everyone's sort of trying to guess. Well, there's what also folks there's also a monetary to... thing now. They're like, I want to do open source, but please don't sell it as a software as a ser service. So you have these cloud licenses, like use it for yeah. this, but which is and of then course, is that really open source? No. Which comes maybe, out maybe, and some people possibly. are like, oh, it's me. It's like I can't believe they did this because Amazon's using it. Yeah. I see both sides. The the you know whatever the database developers are like, we don't like that Amazon is commercializing our software without. So, you know, supporting us as much as they should, and we're doing support for their customers. On the other hand, Amazon is like, well, why did you release this, this open source? Like, we'll just fork it and take over maintenance of it. I think, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not easy, right? I don't, I don't know the answers to it. No one um, does. No one does. That's why I want to talk about it. Because I and think... And we do this too. Like, we, have, we had things that we wanted, like, deep, deep changes that we wanted to have made to MicroPython, and we chatted with the MicroPython team, and they didn't want to do it. And we said, okay, well, this is such a deep change. Yeah, and that we'll make it sure it's clear. We'll make sure it's clear that this is something different, and you're not going to have to deal with the support. And we, yeah, we were clear. We, it's different a different name, name different, different name, different everything. And we take yeah. on most of the support, even like some MicroPython micro support. 
because um, people have questions about stuff. Well, we did. We actually did a lot of early, a lot of the early tutorials for MicroPython. Yeah. We we did on Learn. So, so yeah, it's it's. I think it's interesting because it shows, it it it. It, you know, this is like a, it's a it's a security vulnerability. It's a social vulnerability. It's one of the things that I think, as open source communities, we do some things very well together. This is one of the things that we don't quite know how to do. Yeah, yet. and then there's like big business models. Red Hat charges for consultation support, and they're open source. Um, there's a lot of ways to get to this, but I think the number one thing is people who do open source shouldn't feel punished for doing open source, and I think that's just like. One of the one of the core things. So one that's thing that's definitely a thing. Yeah. So one of the ideas that we had is, and maybe we'll share this with GitHub, is it'd be good to maybe have yes, you can label an issue for feature request or enhancement, but it might be nice to just be very clear that issues are only issues and have a separate tab that is feature requests because at least that would and tech keep support. those over there. So like yeah. so like half of my weekend is is deleting or replying to issues that are not issues. They're people asking for tech support help, and I'm like. This isn't the right place to do it, and I feel bad because it's like they are. The, this is I can tell that this is their first thing they did on GitHub. They made a GitHub account specifically to open yeah. up an issue, and tech support. I don't do tech support in in GitHub issues. It's not the place for it. Um, it it's it should go. It's like not not like a bug report, but people saying like, I don't know how to install this on Arduino. That goes in the forums, but it's like people. You know, and believe people are like oh well, why don't you put in a template? We have templates. It doesn't. It yeah. doesn't make any difference. And one of the things that it's unfortunate that this happens a lot. I'm not going to dwell on it because I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want people to kind of see what our weekends and evenings are like sometimes because it's a big, wide, open internet. Is someone first time of opening up an issue? It's a feature request, and Lamore will say, "Hey, this is a feature request. I'm going to close this issue," and then they immediately decide that. All women are the enemy because it says Lady Ada, and then there's like sexism and racism. You name it, it starts happening because someone told them no. And there probably needs to be more education on like how to file a good issue, bug requests, templates, and all that stuff. But if it could be feature requests as a tab, I think that might be something. So, anyways, just some ideas. We'll continue to talk about it. Other open source hardware news. Congratulations, Mark, who did his first ever open source hardware, and he actually sent it to us. This is as seen on Show and Tell, Featherwing. Check this out. Yes. And uh, he sent this to us, and it was a thank you for the uh, year of doing uh, Show and Tell during this unfortunate pandemic. And uh, one thing I learned is we have to retire the phrase, avoid it like plague, because we did not avoid it like a plague. No, we, we ran right into the plague. <laughs> so, Congratulations, Mark. People wanted to get the Got plug. your open source hardware. And I think this is, you know, just to bolt these on each other, this is a community. Mark saw this and said, oh, I want to open source my hardware because I see the value in doing open source. Also, I learn from an open source company and more. So I think all these things can, can work together better. Anyways, um, we're an open source hardware company, 2,491 guides, almost up to 2,500. Lady Ada, what was on the big board this week? Okay, well, we had a couple guide updates. Uh, we had some new guides. Um, Melissa did an update to this the CircuitPython on Linux and Raspberry Pi guide. Uh, she added a whole page on how to customize the chip select pins um, when you're using um, the hardware SPI, which is highly desired. Also updated the Pi TFT guide to match. Um, and we have one new guide, the Adafruit Slider Trinky Guide. Um, more guides coming. People have been doing a lot of code lately. 
And uh, we also updated um, the guide on contributing to CircuitPython with Git and GitHub. I think uh, we have a couple, we had a couple of things that changed with how we do our linting and pre-commit and Kat and I updated that guide. So a lot of guide updates this week. Okay. Alrighty, next up, where you have some main New York City factory footage takeaway in free factory. And it wouldn't be main New York City factory footage without some Disney building across the street, time lapse. And then we have a really nice oh. sunrise crane view. Bink, 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 bink. Wake up, New York. Wake up, little crane. You're vaccinated. Time to crane. Yeah. All right, 3D printing. Now, Pedro, we have two videos. We're going to play them back to back. And then we shall see you on the other side. Take it away, Noam Pedro. Hey, what's up, folks? In this project, we're building a smart fume extractor with CircuitPython and the Adafruit Funhouse. This uses a PC fan and an air quality sensor to make a fume extractor that can change speed based on the quality of the air. 
The fan is controlled with PWM using an EMC2101 fan controller. A mini fan in the center helps direct fumes to a SPG30 air quality sensor. The speed of the fan is mapped to the sensor so it'll automatically adjust when it senses any solder fumes. The sensor values and fan speed are displayed on the Funhouse's 1.5-inch TFT display. With CircuitPython and the Display.io library, you can use custom fonts and bitmap images. There's a carbon-activated filter fitted over the PWM fan so it can absorb any solder smoke. All of the electronics are secured in a 3D-printed enclosure with parts that snap fit together. The idea and code behind this CircuitPython project is from Liz Clark of BlitzCity DIY. The main program takes readings from the sensor and maps it to the fan's RPM. On boot up, you can decide to connect to Wi-Fi and log data to a feed using Adafruit I.O. Text objects are updated on the display and values are printed in the serial console. Be sure to check out the code walkthrough by Liz on the Adafruit Learn system. With Adafruit I.O., you can create a visual dashboard of the sensor data and fan speed. Using a line chart, we can plot our sensor data and see it change over time by setting up our feeds. In the code, we can set how frequently to send data to a feed in Adafruit I.O. With your fumes in the cloud, you can use your mobile device to access your dashboard anywhere remotely. The wiring and assembly for this build is documented in our learn guide. There you can get the circuit diagram, demo code, and instructions on getting set up with CircuitPython. Our enclosure design in Fusion 360 features 3D models of the electronics with parts from GrabCAD and McMaster Car. The challenge in this project led to designing a cover for the mini fan to make better airflow. An opening just behind the sensor allows the fumes to exit through the back of the mount. The Adafruit Funhouse has lots of built-ins that make these type of projects great for folks who are just getting started. We hope this project inspires you to check out CircuitPython and Adafruit I.O. And don't forget, Gnome Pedro 3D Hangouts every single Wednesday. All right, lady, it's time. It's that time. Hi, on MPI. This week's Ion MPI is from Nordic, one of our favorite companies. Lady Ada, what is the right. Ion MPI brought to you by DigiKey? This week. this week. All right, so I'm wearing my Nordic shirt because last time I did a Nordic. We've done a couple Nordic. It's the rules. We wear the shirts of the And thing. they were like, hey, can you wear a Nordic? I was wearing a particle shirt because particle uses Nordic, but um, yeah. they were like. They sent us shirts. Send us nice no, shirts. Say, like, okay, so this week's IMPI is from Nordic. They emailed me actually and let me know about this new product they're coming out with. And I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. So this is the NPM1100. 
Um, so you probably know Nordic for their wireless stuff, their Bluetooth Low Energy, um, and their uh, short hop uh, mesh wireless networks. Uh, of course, we use the NRF52840 and the Circuit Playground Blue Fruit. If you use a micro bit or other Blue Fruit boards, you've seen us use the NRF51, the NRF52832, um, the NRF8001, ancient uh, Bluetooth Low Energy chip, but was, you know, at the time a, a great thing because it was SPI to Bluetooth. And uh, if we uh, check out, this is from iFixit, the uh, AirTag from Apple. It uses, if you see on the left there, if you zoom in, it has an NRF52832. So um, obviously, you know, these, they're very well known for their wireless Bluetooth chipsets, also now cellular. They're doing some cellular. And um, one of the things that you notice quite quickly when you are dealing with Bluetooth and, and the NRF series is that folks that are using these chips need them to be... Um, very low power. Like low power usage is something that's really important to people because your chances are you're doing cellular, so it's battery powered. You're doing uh, BLE, so it's you know battery powered. And a lot of these things, especially like this AirTag, they send data um, once in a while, um, not often, and then they go to sleep in between. So you know power management is something that's um, very important. And I think considering that their last product um, that they sold was uh, that we featured was the power. Profiler 2, um, it's clear that there's a lot of customers that are using Nordic chipsets and are having difficulty with like getting the performance and battery power that they're expecting, right? They read the specifications and they're like, oh, it can do, you know, this many microamps or nanoamps sleep. Heck, I'm not getting that. And Nordic has to sort of reply and say, well, you know, you have to measure all of your power usage and you have to go to sleep mode and you have to, you know, use this kind of converter and this, your quiescence being lost here and there. Obviously, the PPK2 was a tool that they were using in-house and also their customers were using to try and um, analyze, you know, what are the power uses of their circuits. And I, I got this from their um, presentation on the NPM 1100, and they're saying, look, it sounds, it might seem a little unusual that we're doing a power management chip. Uh, that's what the PM 1100 is but actually isn't because we are a power management IC company. A lot of the stuff we do is power management. Yes, we, of course, we do Bluetooth and we do Wi-Fi or we do uh, cellular and we do ARM cores, but inside of those we have um, power management systems because, we, again, we have to have such deep sleep modes, be able to wake up, do a measurement, advertise Bluetooth and go back to sleep and last for a very long time on a coin cell. Uh, so the NPM 1100 is it's kind of a three-in-one um, power management chip. So the PM is for NPM is for Nordic Power Management 1100. I don't know. It's the first one. It's really the first one, and you know revision zero zero. So inside, uh, starting from the left, there's a USB to battery charger. So it takes USB power in, right? USB C or USB micro B or whatever and it can charge a battery. You can change, here it has a 400 milliamp battery charger, but it's actually adjustable. Uh, it's up to five, 400 milliamps, which is a fairly chunky battery. Most people use 100 or 50 to 100 to 200. You can, of course, tune it down, but it can do linear battery charging. And then on the top right, it can give you uh, unregulated power out from the USB or battery. So that's good for powering like your radio or like some LEDs or whatever high power stuff that you need where uh, the higher voltage, the better. And then at the bottom, there's a uh, buck DC-DC converter that'll give you 150 milliamps out. So not a ton, 
but enough to run your wireless in a couple of accessories, maybe a little display, some buttons, OLED, what have you, a couple sensors. And it's also adjustable 1.8 to 3.0 volts, 3.0 volts out. And here is uh, the schematic, you know, I, I grabbed from their um, valve board, you know, design. They had a couple of designs where they're like, here, copy the design for usage. So one thing to note uh, for this chip is that everything is pin-strapped. Um, so you'll note um, on the left, there's like ICHG pin and V-term. Those are the two pins that you use to select whether it's a 4.2 or 4.1 voltage LiPo battery and the charge current as well. And on the right, uh, you see some LED outputs. Um, but everything is basically pin-strapped. So you don't use I2C to program it. You use resistors and, and GPIO pins if you want to configure it. Top left, you can see there's the D plus D minus pins. You're like, what's up with that? That's used um, so it can detect whether, you know, what current the charger can supply because, you know, Apple uses the D plus and D minus pins and that's a standard to indicate how much current can be drawn. So it will respect that current if you connect those pins up. Um, and basically, it's a three and one. You've got your, um, you know, USB input, regulated output DC-DC, unregulated output, and battery charger. And it's really small, right? It's all in one. And so instead of having maybe two chips or three chips, you have one chip. Um, and here it is showing with the, basically the capacitors, a couple of 402 resistors to set the charge current and such. Most of the pins are just strapped. And then there's an inductor for um, the buck converter. Um, and so, you know, they did a case study in the presentation. They showed, look, you know, if you go from a, a, a buck converter usually is bigger and more expensive, but because we kind of combo it with your LiPo charger, um, you kind of get a two for one. It's the same price as just having one or the other. But with the DC-DC, even though it's bigger, right, you see the bottom right there, this, this solution is 23 millimeters squared instead of, um, you know, a, sim a simpler low dropout regulator, which is 12 millimeter because it doesn't need the inductor. Um, however, your battery life is double because um, you can squeeze more current out, especially if you're going to buck down to like 2 volts, 2.2 volts. You know, the Nordic chips can run very nicely at those, at those voltages. Um, you can suck more current out of that battery. You're, you're drawing less current out of the battery and you can go to much lower voltages. Uh, so, it's, you know, yes, it's designed to be used with the Nordic chips. Obviously, they're, they're promoting it for use with the NRF series chips, uh, the 91s, the 53s, the 52s. However, I'll say this chip is not just for use um, with those dev, uh, with that, their, their chipsets. You could, of course, use it with any chipset. It is agnostic to the wireless. Just, you know, they're, they're branching out into a new thing. It's meant as a sister product to their existing lines. But I, I don't think in any way you should think, oh, I can only use this with Nordic. No, you can use this with any project you want that um, you know, may need adjustable voltage output, uh, has a LiPo battery that needs charging, um, and you want to kind of have, oh, another thing that's very nice about this is it has a ship mode, so it can go into ultra low quiescent current. Um, the quiescent current is usually about like 800 nanoamperes typical, which is quite low, um, but it can go to half that in ship mode. So when you ship out a product to somebody, you, you don't want it running, but you also probably don't have an on-off switch because it's not very common to have anymore. In this case, you can use a button or a GPIO to get out of ship mode um, to wake up the, the regulator 
um, and and don't, don't don't drain your battery out completely. So when people get the product, it's basically ready to use the moment you get it. Uh, so that's the the t bottom buttons there. All right. Not only is this efficient, Lady is efficient, but did you can get this to you efficiently? And it's in stock. Yeah. Right? I'm trying to do the NPIs that are available and in stock, and this one is in stock. So you can pick this up, the NPM one one zero zero. And then CAA. There's also an eval board, which we showed the photo of um, oh, here. Let me show it for a second. Overhead, real fast. Um, so that's it. This is the solution. So maybe I'll use the. Whoop. Sorry, I'll use the zoomer. Okay. There you go. So that's the. This is the full solution. Uh, this is the chip. You need some input and output capacitors, obviously, because you're, you want to have capacitors on the battery charging, on the input to the uh, buck converter. This is the inductor. It's a little uh, chip scale inductor and capacitor on the output. But that's it. It's a small CSP uh, scale chip. And then you can use, we'll zoom out, even more zoom in. Down here, there's little flippy switches you can uh, use to select. So it's a very nice little eval board. Uh, I'll note that this battery, I believe, is reverse wired from how Adafruit batteries are wired. Um, just looking for the ground pin, so just watch out for that. Check the documentation before you plug yeah. in one of our batteries. All right, that's I on PI this week. Hi, on MPI. Okay, before we go to IONMPI, don't forget the code is BT Clock. We'll do new products. New, 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 new. What's new? New. All right, we've got, um, I see this in like little toys and stuff. It's a double CR2032 battery holder, but it's like a, like a pancake style. It's uh, top to bottom. Um, we have one that's uh, side to side style, and uh, I thought it would be kind of cool to have this. I'll just show it on the overhead real fast because I want to show how it's put together. Okay, so, oh my goodness, this is out here. So... Uh, I have it here. I'm just showing it's powering this LED. It has a nice on-off switch. This uh, pops open, and then you can see it holds two uh, coin cell batteries. So again, it's it's like if you want something that's pancake style, um, this works quite well. I like how it's a very pokey outy switch, so you you can't miss it. I see these a lot in like little toys and games and stuff. Um, it just comes with bare wires. I soldered them onto this LED. But handy if you want, you know, a very small uh, coin cell battery holder that can power your six volt project. Next. All right. More of these. Next up, more of these. So these are uh, adorable little silicone nubules um, that stick into your ports to keep them dust free. Uh, we have construction going on, so actually my ports are getting dusty. Uh, so we have them in USB A, and here is USB C. Um, so these fit into the ports. So yeah. USB-A, uh, USB-C goes into the port, so it's shown here. And then HDMI. So if you have a computer with HDMI or maybe you have a Raspberry Pi with HDMI, slot them in. Yeah. Um, they come in packs of 10 each. They're soft silicone rubbery. Um, they work quite well, and uh, I'm kind of into them. So. Yeah, at first I'm just like, am I going a little too far? And then it um, turns out I wasn't going far enough. Okay, yeah. next up. Okay, next up. We've got um, some terminal block uh, breakouts for the Raspberry Pi Pico. 
If you have a Pico, you're probably like, hey, well, I want to use this for industrial uses. I want to connect this up to a DIN rail. Um, so we've got two terminal block setups. This one is kind of like the narrow, thin version. Um, let me grab it and I'll show it off because there's, there's stuff on the sides here. Okay, so uh, Raspberry Pi Pico, of course, plugs in like so. Um, moment. Okay, focus lock. Uh, you can see the USB over here, and then if you wanted to solder in the headers for the uh, debug port, you can do that as well. And then um, it comes, this PCB uh, comes fully assembled, and then every terminal block has a nice label showing you. It's one by one, right? So it's like each pin matches up with the, the pin on the Pico. So there's a lot of grounds, and then you've got all the power pins over here more GPIO over there, everything nicely labeled. And then you can mount this onto um, a DIN rail or onto an enclosure, because um, it's, nice, it's got this nice uh, kind of DIN rail-y, it's, it's DIN rail looking, but it's actually not, uh, it doesn't have the, the sliders for a DIN rail. But um, you could probably get the sliders and add it on, or you can just mount it using these two little ears okay. over here. Next up. Next up, uh, similar, but not quite the same. This one is a terminal block breakout, but it's like side-to-side -side mode instead of like long mode. I don't know how to, to say this. But these are much bigger terminal blocks. Um, Pico still plugs in onto the top here, and then you've got these 45-degree terminal blocks. The wires go in from the side, and you screw them down. Everything is, again, labeled one by one. Uh, this would be better for thicker wires, I think. It's, you know, it's a bigger construction, uh, it doesn't come with the nice plastic bottom, right? So you, this, is, this is for direct usage. There are some mounting holes, but you know, people are always like, hey, I just want to plug it in and, and terminal block connect something for a robot or industrial use. Uh, these two do the job quite nicely. Okay, next up is a Bluetooth clock. That's why the code was BT clock. Okay, so, here so it is. Bluetooth clock. Let's go to uh, the overhead so maybe it'll change over while I'm talking about it. Yep. Okay. So uh, this, this is a Bluetooth, um, Bluetooth e-ink clock. Uh, it is not like a full pixel display. It's a segmented display. So in case you're like, can I have a display anything I want and hack it? No, like you're not going to have a display anything more than uh, what you see here. It um, has a kind of a generic Bluetooth chipset inside. It has this e-ink display that updates once a minute. So hopefully in the next few seconds it'll update. And it also has uh, humidity. So here is the humidity and percentage and temperature. Uh, it's in centigrade right now, but you can change it to Celsius. This little happy face just says, hey, you know, that it's good humidity, good temperature for humans. I don't know, it's a happy human face. Um, the reason we're stocking this is that even though you can't reprogram this, oh, there you go, it's, it just changed. So you saw that was a, um, a change that was a partial update because it only updated uh, two segments. And then if we wait another minute, it will update the whole display. So if it's, if it's cool, we'll hang out here. Uh, inside yeah. it is emitting the time I think definitely the, the humidity and temperature over Bluetooth as like data signals. And so a lot of people who have an ESP32 using Home Assistant or even using R code uh, with Blinka or Circuit Playground, you can read the temperature and humidity that's being sent from this board as, a, as on your um, Bluetooth controller. So this acts as a yeah. peripheral and it's like, it's not an advertisement. You, you would connect to it and you can read the data. But it's a very nice, like, all-in-one, um, not only like a clock that runs for quite a long time, but as a sensor node. So we have the little mini sensor nodes that we stocked. 
Now we just have the larger one that's also a nice game clock. I'll say the only thing that's a little annoying. I guess. Full, full just update. The only thing that's a little annoying is that if you want to, and then when it does an hour, it actually does the full screen clean. So you saw that. Yeah. Um, to set the um, time, you have to use a computer. Um, there's an app, but the app only runs in China. And then if you put your app in China mode, if you if you set your region to China, then the um, time zone is wrong. Basically, uh, we link to a web Bluetooth application that you can use. You just connect to it. Use Chrome because it has web Bluetooth. Connect to it, and then you set the time through your browser. You only have to do it once. Okay. Ian Clock. Next Very nice. up. Oh, it's got a little magnet bottom. Uh, okay, this is a, uh, this is real easy. It's just two uh, double-sided foam pieces. We include these in a lot of kits, and once in a while people are like, I need more of these foams, or I didn't get the foams, or I lost my foams. We now just have them as a two-pack of foam. Okay, and last up, the start of the show, tonight besides you, Lady, our, our community, our team. Yeah, one second, sorry. Our I customers. Dropped. I dropped, I dropped things. Yeah, you, you're just like, goodbye, Trinky. I just threw it. Flew it off. It, it is the Adafruit. Keycap. Custom keycap. Limited edition. We we're not going to probably do these forever. Um, coming soon. It's coming soon. Sign up. We don't put our logo on anything. It's just one of the things that we decided to do. When we Usually do put it on something, boards, yeah, yeah, we put it on the circuit boards. Um, so this is something special, and I think yeah. people will enjoy it because what they'll do is they'll put this keycap on their computer and they'll set it up to go to the Adafruit site or maybe our YouTube channel or whatever. So let's take a look at the world premiere of the Adafruit keycap. Okay, all right, so, um, yeah, so I found a service that will make a custom keycap, and the way this works is actually, if you look, it's a translucent plastic keycap, and then it has a thin, opaque black coating that's then etched away, right? So you can kind of see that. You can see the reverse on the bottom. So the only thing is, obviously, keys don't have the LEDs in the center, although we're looking at trying to find a, a, a key that does have an LED that can emit through the center. In general, they emit from the top, north side or south side, whatever, they're, they're from the side. So it's just something to watch for. We etched, the, these come in R4 styling, so they're kind of used for like escape keys or like if you want to have a function key. Um, so we kind of recommend that you put it so that the angle makes it so it's towards the LED. It's not going to be fully lit. You can see it's a little shadowed, but it still looks really good. Um, yeah. And also, the, I didn't want to have it only in the top because sometimes people have south keys and some people have east or west. So basically, you know, it'll work okay even if it's, you know, on the opposite side of the LED. It just won't glow as much, but it still, it still definitely glows through. Um, so we are starting with a custom Adafruit keycap and then uh, stay tuned because we're going to get there might more, be more we'll see. custom keycaps. But I like these because they work great with our Neo keys. I have it here on a yeah. Neo key trinky because it's just an easy way to have one key glow. Um, but of course, this works on any keyboard with a Cherry MX cross. So it's a very, very, very common uh, key type. Chances are if you have a mechanical keyboard, uh, pop one of the keys off. If it has a little cross section, then you can use this key. And that's new products. <laughs> Okay, while we're uh, going to answer some questions, I have some lined up. I'm going to press um, the A to you, key. Yeah, the A to key. You can uh, go over to Discord, start putting them in, but let's do a little bit of top secret. Okay. I did do a lot of, we did a lot of videos. We did a lot of videos. I'm only going to show two, and then I'm going to show an upcoming um, thing that we're doing. Okay. You ready? Yes. Hey, Lady Ada, what is this? All right, I'm finally starting my project. I've been putting off for a couple of weeks, which is porting 
Um, our seesaw core, which you can see here in the rotary encoder, this is SAMD09 that takes I squared C in and then can read a rotary encoder. So it's like our little I squared C to anything converter. We use it for a lot of stuff. You can drive NeoPixels, analog digital converters, etc. We use the SAMD09, which has been working great. I love the SAMD09, but I can't get it anymore. So I'm thinking of porting the code over to the 8Ttiny8XY series, which is a low cost, three or five volt microcontroller. It's not as powerful, but I can seem to get it. So I'm using uh, this core from uh, Spence Conde, and uh, this is the this is the pinout that they have for the Arduino core that runs on the ATtiny X17. So that's what I'm trying to port with. So far, I've got some blinking going. All right, Lady Ada, what is this? Okay, I'm still working on my um, ATtiny 817 port of the Seesaw code, which was SAMD09, but I can't get SAMD09s. So I'm porting the I squared C to GPIO or analog um, code that we written a couple years ago for the SAMD09 to this chip. I did digital I.O. in the last video, and this one I'm working for an analog input. So if you see on the computer, uh, I've got it reading the analog voltage, and this is all going through I squared C. So over here, you can actually see the debug from the ATtiny817. It's getting the request, sending the data, and then um, this Arduino compatible is actually reading the analog um, through the I squared C and outputting it to the serial monitor. But so far, so good. So digital and analog working so far. And here's a preview of the uh, RP, the QD RP2040 Trinky friend. Um, it's, it's like an alligator and the teeth are kind of like USB and then the tail is a stemma. So that's a little bit of a preview and that's top secret for the week. Get back in the vault. All right, question time, and I've got some questions lined up, Lady Ada. Okay, well, let's get to We're them. We're gonna do this. Okay, here we go. Okay. All right, let's um, hit these right away. Uh, for the APX192, it's useful to, let's say, power down a screen or GPS, et cetera. Adafruit, can you shut down uh, power on one of the pins of the Nordic chip, power chip? You know, I actually don't know. Um, I, yeah, I don't have the data sheet in front of me. Um, so check the data sheet. There could be like an enable pin, or you might be able to use one of those GPIO pins and toggle them. But that's actually a good thing to post in the Nordic app developer forum um, because they haven't released all the examples uh, for that power chip. Um, and I think if you have a situation, they'll probably be able to tell you how to do it with that chip. Okay, next up, uh, next question. Uh, Adafruit makes some amazing product contributes to a tremendous amount of software libraries. Ever wanted to patent an item? Curious how it works in open source hardware. Okay, the answer is we did uh, try to get a patent for like LED stuff and the reason we got it is can we make an open source patent? So anyone who wants to use it, they can use it and if they get attacked by patent trolls, maybe we can build a patent moat. So if the patent troll comes after one of the people that wants to work on open patents, we could say, well, if you come after us open patent folks, we're gonna come after your patents because you're infringing on one of ours. Um, and so that's, that's one way it could work. Uh, generally though, we don't patent anything and we do, uh, and I will be able to talk about this eventually, we're four for four. We've had four patent trolls come after us and uh, we did not have to go to court. We were very smart and they went away but we know it's a thing and it's not cheap, um, but we didn't, we didn't, they didn't troll us the way they wanted to. 
Um, next up, uh, can the Trinky label be applied to products not created by Adafruit? Uh, drop me a note, ptdatafruit.com. Um, Trinky is one of the names that we use for things, but that's the cool thing. We can work together and we can figure something out, just like lots of people make feathers. Um, next up, uh, what has been the most uh, rewarding aspect of building and running Adafruit? Um, both of us. Uh, I'll, make, I'll just go, go for be it. easy. Um, I think once in a while in life you are given a chance to help enormous amounts of people. We all have a way to do that. We just have the gift of being able to help a lot of folks. So you get to see the results of that once in a while, whether it be someone using your stuff for accessibility or that 10-year-old that you met 10 years ago, now they're an engineer helping others. I think that's the most rewarding thing. Yeah, it's like it's wonderful to see the journeys, people that we employ here, people in the community. Um, they're growing up, they're becoming engineers or they're yeah. dabbling and they're having fun with electronics. Um, to me, I think that's so cool. It's like this is my way of, of sharing with people how much I enjoy making electronics and building stuff. Yeah. Oh, and I have an update for, uh, that goes along with this question. If given the chance to buy Hackaday, Phil, because I started it, would you? Um, the Siemens PR team got back to me. They said they're going to answer the questions, which is kind of cool. Yay. Um, we'll see. Also, TI got back to me. They're going to send those questions over about the fork of CircuitPython they did for TI calculators. Yay. For those who don't know, Siemens bought SupplyFrame, which owns Hackaday and Tindy. Um, in the past, Hackaday got purchased by SupplyFrame. I started Hackaday 16 years ago. Nothing to do with it now besides being a reader. So the answer to the question is, if it meant preserving Hackaday, if it was going to get closed, uh, I would purchase it and do something good with it. Um, probably just continue doing it in some way. I would like work with some of the same authors. Um, but if it was no no reason other than they just put a high price tag on it, uh, Adafruit's site and blog gets more traffic than Hackaday now. A lot of people don't know that because we're not we don't have to sell ads. Um, so I, think that I would I think and it's plus already did not, it. Yeah, it's like it exists and we exist. I yeah. don't need to own it. I got we already have a community. But I would running. make but I would make sure if it was going to close if I had the opportunity to keep it going or yeah. to preserve it the best way possible. Um, do you have any experience with the Latte Panda from DF Robot? I know this is an for question, but I, I like, uh, but I would like one. I want to know your opinion. I haven't actually used it, but pick one up and try it out, and then to let us know, write a review on a, a blog post or something, and send it over because I, I actually don't own one of those. Yeah. Maybe you can get Blinker running on it. Is uh, this happening now? Yes. Is this something live now? Yes. Um, can I put my question here? Yes. Uh, how do I calculate the equivalent voltage of multiple voltage sources with different V in parallel, not in series? You cannot connect multiple voltages in parallel. They'll destroy each other. So that's, that's not possible. Uh, voltages can only be connected in series. Uh, current sources can be collected in parallel, and then you just add them together. But voltage yeah. sources, you do not want to connect uh, mismatched voltage sources in parallel. Can this Bad. run reverse black with white text? No, it's yeah, been very it. uncustomizable. The thing I like about it is it's a sensor node. It's not a hacking platform. Believe me, I opened one up and I was kind of like looking at it. And it's just like, it's not, it's not quite hackable. I think it's running like a dialogue Bluetooth chipset. Okay, I'm gonna just do one last little round of checking for the questions. Uh, I do not see any we got to additional all. questions. I think we got to them all. We did. Oh, there's one more. Oh, wait. Doctor, you got one more? I'm going to start to prepare the goodbye as you type in. No pressure. 
Um, who's in the chat? Tonight in the chat, I'm going to say thank you to Takara. It's thank Takara. you, Takara, thank for you, Takara. all your work behind the scenes here at Adafruit. Also, Takara is a very good author. All of our authors are really good. Takara has a lot of good posts. Top blog. So if you go to the blog and read some of the posts from Takara, you will enjoy it. So, she learned from the best. I, well, I think we're all on each other's shoulders. Okay. Uh, All right, well, okay. I'm doing an Iron Man cosplay, and I'm planning to do lights and sound all over. What do you think about having independent power for each hand, the arc reactor helmet versus combined power for all power control? Mm. It's the, it, it depends on uh, how you want your thing to fail. If you have distributed power, um, then you can control them a little bit easier maybe, but uh, you risk having the wires break as you, know, as you move around, so you have to do a really good job with the mechanical stuff. Um, if you have independent power, you don't have to worry as much about the mechanical stuff because it's not going to running wires everywhere, but you're more likely to have your batteries die unexpectedly, so there's more battery management. So you kind of have to pick which frustrating thing you want to deal with. All right. That's our show tonight. Thank All you, everybody. Right, thanks, everybody. Don't forget the code is BTClock, 10% off at fruit store. Until I turn it off very soon, probably within an hour or so. Thank you, everyone. We'll see everybody next week. Please be good to each other. Stay safe and all those things. Thanks for being with us and supporting this open source hardware company in New York City, manufacturing stuff in the USA. We will see everybody next week. Here comes your moment of Zener. Thanks, everybody.